Welcome to The Long Leash. I'm James Jacobson. Now, I'm sure we all know how impactful a dog can be to a family. In the case of today's guest, Donna Dees, her dog, Daisy, served as a rock for her children and provided the support and comfort that they needed when she was going through a divorce. But Donna didn't realize at the time what an impact Daisy would have on all of their lives. Donna Dees, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's so hard to figure out exactly where to begin because as we were chatting before we started recording, you've done so many different things, but it seems that dogs have been this recurrent part of your life that have been there for you. And it appears to me shaped some of the, the your responses and, and who you are. Is that fair? I think that is fair. I think... Um... You take all of life's experiences and not really sure how they connect until that moment when they actually do connect. And, um, and that's, you know, I know we want to keep this, you know, a little bit more dog focused, but uh, when I organized the Million Mom March, it was all of my experiences came together in one moment to create something that was pretty spectacular, something I had never done before, but because I had all these other life experiences they just all converged with one moment. So, Don't you think that life is that way? It's like one thing leads to another, leads to another, and only from the perspective of looking back do you see where everything is congruent and, and just like, oh, well, that's a logical thing. Of course I would go from there to there. Absolutely. I end up having to write a book about how, how I organized the Million Mom March. Um, but, I, but people look, how, how could you have done this? Because there was no, there was no social media in 1999 when mm -hmm. I launched it. And um, I mean, we barely had email, but what I did have were these life experiences. I had worked on Capitol Hill and it's very sad to talk about the Capitol Hill police because they've had so much, um, so much tragedy as of late, but I knew how to call the Capitol Hill police including and say- this morning, how Including this morning when we're recording this, yeah. Yes, I know, I know, I didn't want to date it, but it's, it's, it's there were, a lot of trouble, but I had, I knew how to call them 202-224-3121. That is always the number for Capitol Hill. Right. And I had worked on the Hill right out of college for a U.S. Senator. So I knew how Who to- Who did you work um, for? I worked for U.S. Senator Russell Long. Okay. And um, that was like almost like, a, a, like I got a PhD in politics just for working for him for four years. I learned everything that, you know- Especially possibly. Senator- Especially Senator Long, yeah. And, yes, and at the time he was the young, when he was elected, when I worked for him, he was ready to retire, but when he was elected, he was the youngest person elected at the age of 29. He had to wait until he turned 30 to take it. And his father, Huey Long, had been assassinated. So he, he had come from a, a, a political family. He'd known tragedy, knew, knew Capitol Hill. So, so it was that experience of just knowing how to navigate Capitol Hill and to get a permit. You know, and uh, but it was also how to talk in sound bites. You know, I sort of sort of learned that from Senator Long too. You know, how to talk in little pithy sound bites. Mm -hmm. I probably will never do it for this podcast, sadly. Well, no. this is why it's called the long leash. We get to go on these tangents. Okay, good. Uh, and then I, you know, I knew how to write a press release. And if you, you know, a well-written press release, in fact, I didn't even write the best press release for the Million Mile March. I had a friend call a friend and he said, I need a press release that uses every mommy metaphor you possibly can. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, and then I looked at the calendar, like when I should, when should I do this and being a PR person, you're always looking for hooks. And I thought, Ooh, mother's day. And then when I counted the months to when I got, you know, enraged about gun violence in this country, it was actually nine months to the day I applied for the permit to the day we marched on Washington and the nine month metaphor just, you know, we, we just beat that one to death, quite frankly. So how much can you create in nine months? Well, we created a march of close to a million people. So obviously it's because it has been more than 20 years. Uh, describe how significant the Million Mom March was and what you were hoping to accomplish with that. Well, at the time, um, it was August 10th, 1999. I worked for late Joey David Letterman. I had the best job in the business. I publicized stupid pet tricks, <laughs> stupid human tricks, top 10 lists. So what was it like working for Letterman? What were some of the favorite, you know, stupid pet tricks that you saw? I tried to remember some of them for you, but I think the ones I remember once was the dog that jumped rope, double dutched rope was one of my favorites. And there was the beagle that played dead, uh, that completely went completely limp. Uh, yes, the stupid pet tricks. Um, you know, talk about a good job that that all you do is you write press releases about stupid pet tricks and stupid human tricks and top ten lists. But I yes, get paid for this. Yeah. I get exactly. And it was like, a, and, and we were the only. Um, I had a job share, a mommy job share, uh, and so David Letterman signed off to the CBS brass that two of us, two mothers, could share a job so that we could spend time with our kids. And I don't know if CBS has done it since, but I know we were the first, we were trailblazers at CBS and David Letterman was the one that got that going. So I always have nothing but fond, fond memories of working for Late Show with David Letterman, just for that very fact that I had a job share. Yeah, that does sound like a, a pretty good job. Let's loop it back, however, towards the Million Mom March. How did that get started? So I, I guess I wasn't really thinking about how can I absolutely ruin this idyllic life that I have by going to take on the gun lobby. Mm -hmm. um, but I did. It, there was a shooting at a Jewish community center in Los Angeles in Granada Hills. And uh, fortunately, uh, none of the, the, killed, the children died. Uh, but a gunman came in. It was a white supremacist who had never should have had access to a gun. He uh, managed to go through several loopholes in order to acquire his arsenal. And on, and we were, Leitch was having to be on a dark week. It was vacation week. So I was so enraged. I, you know, I decided I want to volunteer for the gun violence prevention movement. And it's not easy to volunteer uh, really? for a nonprofit. And it really isn't. Uh, and uh, some of them are easier than others. I guess the American Red Cross are the ones you can call up and, and they can put you to work right away. But in gun violence prevention, they get so many death threats and hostile calls and craziness that it's very hard just to pick up the phone and get mm. somebody on the phone. Mm. And I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know why it was so hard to, to. Cause you're working for Letterman. You're used to being able to pick up the phone and get anyone. And people returned my calls. You <laughs> know, that was CBS. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm calling people. I'm trying to volunteer for something. So I thought, you know, you were asking me how significant it was that was significant right there that people did not have an easy way to enter the gun violence prevention movement. And so I, it took me about a week to figure out what to do. 
Uh, and I came up with a really one page PR plan to figure out how to build a grassroots movement for um, the gun violence prevention uh, arena. I mean, all you ever heard at that time was the gun lobby was so powerful. There were so many people that belonged to the National Rifle Association, so many members, and there really wasn't a counterbalance. And so this was, in, in recent history, like in the last 20, 30 years, the first real grassroots movement that was a counterbalance to the gun lobby and what they had. Okay. So this is, of course, the long leash. So we got to talk about dogs. And I know that during this odyssey, you had a dog by your side named Daisy, right? No, we got Daisy after. After, but, okay. Um, but she came along at the right time. Right in the middle of me organizing the Million Mom March, my husband asked me for a divorce, which... In the um, middle of in the middle right of putting middle. this together. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, he's a great divorce dad. I just want to say right out front. And timing was not the best. Right after the Million Mom March, uh, when we had to tell our daughters, who I guess were five and six at the time, or yeah, right, yeah, five and six, mommy and daddy are getting a divorce, and we're going to get a dog. And okay. I thought that would be... <laughs> that would be that would be like I, I, I ignore the first part of my sentence, but we're just focusing exactly. on the dog. Other than exactly. that, Mrs. Exactly. Lincoln, how was the play? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So Daisy was a result of trying to soften the blow of, 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 of a failed marriage and, and the family sort of breaking apart. And um, Daisy was just the perfect dog, you know, the, the perfect divorce dog. And sometimes I used to Is call that her thing? that. Is that a thing? The divorce You know, it dog? should be a thing. Okay. It should be a thing. And I want we should do that, Jim. We should write a book about Daisy, the divorce dog. Uh, it should be because... She was just the perfect pup for that experience. And I sometimes would call her Daisy the divorce dog in her presence, and she would look at me like, please don't. Don't label me with that. Let's talk about that. Was she good for your daughters? Was she good for you? Was she good for your ex? She was good for all of us. Um, she was also good for the divorce lawyers because a lot of a lot of time went into arguing over the vet bills. Who's gonna pay the vet bills? For real. And I do have to say. It was crazy arguments to be had because my ex-husband's a very generous person and and he did take care of the vet bills. And um, I say that now because in our divorce agreement, the financial agreement that all uh, that daddy agrees to pay for Daisy's vet bills. And it's very sweet. Literally, it's like the lawyers have refined the legal language to daddy agrees to pay the vet. Oh, bills oh they were actually fighting over those words. And, uh, and it was my lawyer who wanted those words, daddy, you know, uh -huh. uh, Daisy's vet bills. And then we walked out of that <laughs> negotiation. He says, now all future pets must be named Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> you have a horse that needs a heart, a heart transplant, <laughs> daddy, a turtle, now daddy was defined, but Daisy wasn't in the legal terms. Yeah. But I do have to say, um, yeah, and again, I, I say this with all sincerity, you know, Daisy had very good vet care for her 14 years. So, yeah. okay. So what kind of dog was Daisy? Daisy was a Wheaton Terrier, soft-coated Wheaton Terrier. Okay. So Daisy, and, so you, you have this conversation with your, your very young children. Yes. You say getting a divorce, but we're also getting a dog. What was their reaction? Well, Lily, my oldest daughter, was a real animal lover. And so she immediately started, let's get some books and see what kind of dog we want. And um, she came up that she wanted like some kind of a lab mix, 
and a rescue. And uh, that's all good. I mean, sometimes I have to, to, to say, I really, we went to go for a rescue dog first. And um, while I was literally in my mom minivan in New Jersey, driving to go pick up a dog that kind of met, you know, Lily's expectations, right. I got a call from my stepson who, all, who had a, a Wheaton Terrier named Lucas. Lucas was the best dog ever too. And um, Lucas had some terrier issues, some dog issues. And um, David, my stepson said, look, you can't get a lab because Lucas does not get along with labs. And if you get a lab, we're not gonna be able to come stay with you on Fire Island, you know, and the dogs will fight and it'll be terrible situation. And, um, and I always, you know, for many years later, I would call Dave and thank you for, you know, extorting me for, you know, because I said, okay, I remember pulling the minivan over. I'm like, okay, I'm like in like, like gas station. I'm like, what do I need to get? Because now they're expecting a dog. Right. And he said, well, Lucas gets along with female soft-coated wheat and terriers. So I said, find me one like in a half an hour. And sure enough, uh, he called, you know, the breeder that they had gotten Lucas from. And mm -hmm. we went and picked up, I went and picked up Daisy. In what way did the children build a relationship with Daisy that helped them overcome the, the trauma that obviously kids feel during a divorce? I had to call Lily. I was at the place where David, my stepson, sent me to to get the Wheaton Terrier. And there were several Wheaton Terriers and uh, puppies. And I called Lily's school and I said, this isn't an emergency. I know we're not supposed to call, but I need to talk to Lily. And she was in first grade and uh, they put her through. And I said, Lily, I'm so sorry to bother you in class, but David felt like, you know, the, um, the, the lab rescue wasn't going to be a good fit for Lucas. And I'm here, I'm looking at Wheaton Terriers. How do you feel about that? She's, oh, I just want a dog. I don't care. She doesn't care. She's in first grade. <laughs> just give me this, a dog. Right. And then I said, okay, now there are two dogs I have to decide between here. One is so cute and fluffy and uh, just as sweet as she can be, jumping all on my lap. And I said, there's another one who her eyes are a little too close together. She's a bit of the runt and she's kind of shaking and she's not too, not too friendly. And Lily says, get that one, mom. That's the one I want. And, uh, and of course the, the, the dog breeder said, you know, that once you get that dog home, you're going to see a different dog. But that's the one Lily said, let's get, because Phoebe's not, not, you know, a little afraid of dogs. So they might be a good match for each other. And they were, they kind of, Phoebe uh, would, when I brought Daisy home, Phoebe would sit up on the sofa high up. So, so Daisy could nip at her feet. And then Daisy would start suddenly just, I mean, very gradually would uh, warm up to Phoebe and they became like best buddies forever. So, and then the dog ultimately got after turned out to be dog Phoebe wanted, but I, I digress. So how old were, was Phoebe and Lily? at this time five and six okay. uh you so know they're very we, uh, close they're very close yeah. in age yes but lily was able to look after her her little sister phoebe she in understood. such a way that she knew that this run to the litter i mean i think that's kind of brave and you're and you're giving an awful lot of credit to telephonically pull your kid out of school or pull <laughs> your kid out of class get him on the phone <laughs> to say do you want the cute, the cute bouncy dog or, or the run of the litter. And she says, and she's able to deliberate. You're giving a lot of power to a six-year-old. Well, it was a 
difficult time for her. So the fact that she was able to process the information and made the right decision because that was the right dog for us. Although they keep saying any dog we'd have gotten that brown lab rescue would have probably been all the same. I'm like, I don't believe that. You know, I think this, the, the, the universe gives you the dog that you need at that particular moment. So I want to go back to that conversation because I just th I just want to, if you could help describe the visuals around the conversation of you, your ex, your two daughters saying, we're getting a divorce, but we're also getting a dog. Like, how, set the stage. You know, it's a very sad moment. I think anybody who's been through a divorce with small children or even older children, it's a very sad thing. You have to kind of keep yourself together. And... um remember we were in the living room and we sat the girls down and I don't even know what they, if they understood what divorce was. I mean, I think, you know, probably Lily did, you know, um, she watched a lot of television with me sometimes and asked questions and I, she probably had some friends, but you know, other than that, I think I was very sad um, about, you know, saying that our, you know, daddy was moving out. That's right. a very hard conversation. Daddy is leaving. But I do have to say, since my ex-husband had been through it before, he had three boys from his first marriage, he had a place already set up for the girls. And so um, we said, let's go, let's go see where you're gonna be living. And, and whoever has uh, the kids has the dog. And the dog goes you know, that was with, the a little bit of a with, life lesson. The dog goes with you girls, wherever It goes with are. the kids. Yeah, the, the, yeah exactly. And, um, and the fact that I had originally thought we were gonna get a rescue, I didn't, you know, that a dog that was already gonna be house trained. But I have to say, it's very, enlightening to, to see how confusing it is for kids to go back and forth from one house to another house in a divorce because do they have the right books do they have the right shoes do they have their things right. uh it's a very complicated time for kids and i didn't really appreciate it until daisy had a very hard time being house trained for for one of the smartest dogs ever she was very confused about the whole process and I think it was because of going back and forth and back and forth. And we're very lucky that we also had a beach house on Fire Island. And for some reason, that's where Daisy figured it out because that was the place, kind of like having the dog, it was the, the neutral place. In, in New Orleans, we call them the neutral ground or the median strips, the neutral grounds mm -hmm. where I guess it has something to do with the War of 1812 or whatever, oh. you know, the Spanish. I have no idea. I forget my, I forget my New Orleans history, but it's the area, it's the neutral ground. Like our, that Fire Island house was the neutral ground. And so Daisy kind of like, kind of got it, figured it all out there. And that's also where Daisy sort of developed her lifeguard skills. Um, what, do I, mean, what do you mean lifeguard skills? Well, she got, you know, uh, soft-coated wheat interiors, a, a, a bit of herding dogs. You know, I guess maybe in, in Ireland, wherever, somebody's going to probably call in and correct you on, not me, of course, on this and that, you know, the, the, you know, what was the breed for, but they herded goats or sheep or something. So Daisy became a herding dog and that she herded, she, the kids would jump in the pool mm -hmm. and then she would like run around the pool, like trying to get them out of the pool and make sure they were okay. Yeah. And she would be barking constantly <laughs> until she finally figured out that the pool was a fun thing. And then Daisy started to jump in the pool Ooh. with the girls. And then it became always, Daisy's pool and throwing the ball in the pool and whatnot. 
Daisy became such a strong swimmer. I mean, we would take her to the beach and throw the ball in the ocean or whatever. And she would sometimes go way out. And we're like, oh my gosh, you know, whenever you can see her dark. And then she would come swimming back with that ball. And it was the year of 2005. And my girls were away at sleepaway camp. And um, it was kind of a rough weather day. And we're walking along the beach and there was a golden retriever in the water struggling to get to shore. And you're in Hawaii, I believe, right? So I you am. understand riptides. So it I was do. clearly the dog. And I don't think Fire Island had a lot of riptides, but I know, you know, there have been occasions where you could feel the undertow. And the owners were like complete idiots. I'm sorry, but they were. <laughs> they were throwing toys in, like thinking the dog was not trying to come back in. And I'm like, no, I think your dog is caught in a riptide. Right. And they're ignoring me. And then Daisy starts barking like crazy. And she literally jumps into the ocean and she swims and leads the dog swimming parallel to the beach and gets the golden retriever. Wow. So Daisy really is a lifeguard. I guess. She's a lifeguard. But uh, so, yes, because I, I tell the story to everybody and my kids still don't believe the story. They were at sleepaway camp. I wrote them a letter. Daisy saved. They're like, mom, that really didn't happen. I'm like, yes, it did. And this was before iPhone cameras and stuff and i think if i had only had a video of my dog swimming parallel to the beach and getting and saving the life of that golden retriever so thank you jim for letting me tell the story of daisy saving the day on that heroic note let's take a break so that we can keep the lights on here at dog podcast network and hear from some of our sponsors we will be right back and now a message from your dog Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpuff. The green, grassy, beef liver spike smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it, Everpuff, traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. It helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I wouldn't have it any other way. I want my Everpuff. It just makes me feel good. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup every day. And we are back with Donna Dees. Now, I know that obviously Daisy was there at a pivotal time during the divorce for everyone. But as Daisy got a little bit older, towards the end of her life, you went on a journey of sorts. Yes. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, Daisy... And talk about, you were asking, you said something earlier about when life happens, you look back and you wonder what well, that was supposed to Everything be. Everything is congruent. It's like, it yes. all makes sense now. It all makes sense. I had had a long career with CBS. And 
And, but, and, but I kept leaving, you know, I kept, you know, I would do a job. I'd work for Dan Rather for a couple of years. Then I got married and had the two kids and I went back and I worked for Late Show. And then I ended up doing this March that got, took me off of that career path. And then I went back, I worked for CBS again. I worked for Bob Schieffer. Then I quit again. I went to go work for the New York Daily News. I can't keep a job is basically <laughs> what I'm telling you here. Uh, and then I was with a job inside edition. It's the highest rated syndicated magazine of all times. And um, it was like a guilty pleasure job. It was the kind of job where the craziest, wildest stories that, that come up in America, it was what Inside Edition did. And it was perfect hours, eight to four. I dropped the kids off at school. I you know, get up at four and go to their volleyball games or whatever. And uh, in 2013, like June of 2013, I get a call from HR saying they're eliminating my job. Now, this is the first time CBS has said goodbye to me. Yeah. I mean, after 30 years, I was like one of the longest employees with the lowest amount of accrued vacation time or 401k because I kept leaving and coming back. And it was, it was a little bit devastating because I loved that job so much. But within a week or two, I noticed Daisy was walking a little odd, mm. um, like dragging her back legs. And I probably would not have noticed that had I been that full-time working mom that I had been. And how old um, was Daisy at this at this point? She was 13. Okay. Um, and um, I thought, well, you know, it, it looked a bit odd. So I remember taking her to the vet and he says, you know, it takes some tests. He says, but I think it's degenerative myelopathy. DM, I think is what people shorthand, but it's like ALS for dogs. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of a devastating um, diagnosis because the vets said, you know, dogs don't really live to, you know, maybe six months after the diagnosis. And um, so I thought, well, you know, if anytime I'm not going to look for another job right now, um, I'm going to focus on Daisy's last six months. Uh, but fortunately for that financial agreement that I had done, you know, 13 years before, <laughs> Um, nothing but the best. The bill. <laughs> Daddy. Physical therapy, the water treadmill. Uh, no, it was really, and we got the little Eddie's wheelies, you know, the little wheelies you see the dogs on. I, we got the stroller. We got the whole, the whole bit. And um, I have to say, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the book Tuesdays with Maury. Sure. You know, it's, uh, yes, uh, Mitch Alvin book. And it was very similar in that, you know, I suddenly was this caregiver and Daisy was getting the care and she loved it. She was like, this is just Daisy was Maury. Yeah. Maury, she was totally yeah. Maury. She was like, this is the best. And, um, and I was a little worried because I thought she's such an athletic dog, right. you know, and she really did not want to go in the pool anymore. She did not want to go in the ocean, but she still wanted to chase the ball and do everything she can. So she really lived another summer and I'm literally now wheeling her in a doggy, um, you know, thing that you see the baby strollers and people would stop me on the street and say, make that dog walk. And I'm, I'm an introvert. Okay. So I don't really, um, and I'm a nice person as glamor magazine said in that thing. So I don't really like confrontations, but I say, no, my dog is not well. She can't walk right. and I'm giving her some fresh air. And then Daisy looks so cute. She's like a puppy still. Wheat and Terry has looked right. like puppies until the, the very end and so i you know it became i became somebody else with this dog i was really enjoying taking care of her and on fire island i put her into the um, 
um, my bike basket. Mm -hmm. And of course, people would do like the um, Wizard of Oz, dun, 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 like I had the dog in the basket. Uh, but she, Daisy loved it. She loved the attention she was getting from people and, uh, and she just loved it. And so she lived a full, you know, year following the diagnosis. And then towards the summer of 2014, we knew it was, it was, as the vet said, um, degenerative myelopathy really isn't painful because it starts in the hind legs, it moves its way up. But when it gets sort of to the uh, lungs, it becomes painful. And that would be the time to say goodbye before. Mm -hmm. And so Daisy loved car rides. I mean, I kept a car in Manhattan and paid a ridiculous amount <laughs> of money for a garage. That you probably a used a very short loved... amount of time. Yeah. Infre I, I, infrequently. I, I would take yeah. my kids to school. I would take my, I actually drove to work because I, you know, I would take my kids to school and then go back, drop Daisy back and then drive off, off to work. And I really only to justify having the car and literally <laughs> the car was just for Daisy. So, you know, Daisy had a bucket list and one of the bucket lists was a nice long car ride. And so we took her to, I drove her to Ann Arbor where my oldest daughter, Lily was at the University of Michigan. And cause Lily wanted to be with her. And, you know, it was a very spiritual moment of saying goodbye to Daisy in Ann Arbor. And I left the car in Ann Arbor uh, you know, to my daughter, say, here's the car keys, you know, now you have a car, you're, you know, senior year of college. And, um, but it was a very spiritual moment saying goodbye to Daisy there. Uh, when we left the um, vet hospital, we stopped at a florist to get some daisies and, mm -hmm. you know, have a little, you know, moment. My daughter and I were very sad. And this blind dog came out from behind the counter and sort of bowed down at us. And the owner of the florist said, that is so odd. That is so odd. The dog never leaves behind, whatever. And that's when I realized there's a there was a daisy presence around us. There was a spiritual thing going on, and uh, we had I had that experience with other dogs for at least three or four months, where other dogs would just stop and give me a moment and go on by. So yeah, that's my sad daisy story. No, it's 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 really touching, and it just shows how daisy really. Uh, whoever whoever came up with that mock cover of the children's book, what is it? Daisy Saves? I'll tell you, Kate Rogers came up with this. And I, 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 I like to do shout out. She like Letterman. I learned how to do the shameless plug. Uh -huh. Kate Rogers uh, did did the um, Daisy, Daisy Saves, saves the, day. the Day. Yes, it's the book cover that mm -hmm. doesn't have the book. And in many ways, it feels like Daisy did save the day, she both did. in terms of when you had sell the divorce on your children yes. and then uh throughout your life uh yes. as, uh, 14 years as you look forward uh with your this amazing career that you've had what do you see in the future you know i um i've done a lot of different things and i'm, I'm not sure if it's because i can't keep a job or i get bored easily or can't make commitments but i've done a march and and just a million person mark million mom I, did, mark, I, did, yeah. I did i did i did i was like saying before social media i think i want to do another film um i hope there's a somebody who will give me a grant out there i just before the pandemic on the lockdowns i had gone to the louisiana women's policy commission meeting and that's that it sounds boring right the louisiana women's policy commission but i forgot this is louisiana like couple of weeks ago, they did a, a mass vaccination event and they had live bands. Okay. <laughs> sure. So of course. 
<laughs> Nothing is dull in New Orleans. And so I was sort of intrigued by how they had this Louisiana Women's Policy Commission meeting to talk about all these issues. And they had a band. They had music playing, you know, through intervals and, you know, they had good food and setups. And so I think I want to do a film on how the creative people in Louisiana and maybe elsewhere, um, how they do their activism in a creative way. There's so many artists out there who do their activism and you don't even realize it. It sort of just sinks into the, you know, the, the universe. And so I think I want to do that next. Donna is a woman who has accomplished so many incredible things in her life and is no stranger to claiming these achievements with a furry friend by her side. Well, I hope you enjoyed our chat today. And if you are begging for more dog content, we've got a treat for you. There are many more long leash stories waiting for you anywhere podcasts are found. You can also sniff out the show at longleashshow.com. And hey, when you're there, how about letting us know what you think about the show by clicking on the little blue icon found at the bottom right of every page on the website. If you've already dug through the long leash, don't worry. There are plenty more dog-related shows at dogpodcastnetwork.com. We have new shows being added on a regular basis, so be sure to check out dogpodcastnetwork.com. I'd like to thank Donna Dees for joining us on the show today. Until next time, I'm James Jacobson. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, we wish you and your pup a very warm aloha.